Good evening and welcome to the show. Well, you can breathe easy tonight, Australia. The military threat that has been frightening us for a decade or more is not going to happen. Here's Paul Keating at the National Press Club yesterday explaining this wonderful news. China does not threaten the United States. Nobody can threaten the United States. It's got, it's got 10,000 kilometres of sea between the Chinese coast and California. It's got the Atlantic Ocean on the other side. It has a massive country with, uh, in space, in, in land mass and friends in Canada on the north and Mexico on the south and the greatest armaments in all history. So there's no way the Chinese would ever think of attacking the United States and have never thought to attack the United States. So here we're in this position, the Chinese cannot attack the United States and have never thought so, and cannot attack Australia and have never thought so. Because if they try to attack Australia, we'd simply sink the armada of the combat ships, come, of, of the troop ships coming. Well, never mind that China lied about the creation of the coronavirus in 2019, facilitated the virus's spread to Europe and released fake videos of people dropping dead from it in Chinese streets, which caused panic around the world, leading to lockdowns and economic and social stagnation. But hey, what's a global pandemic or two between friends, eh? And as Mr Keating says, the United States can rely on Mexico on its southern border remaining an ally. Surely that alliance can survive whatever ill will is caused by Mexican cartels shipping tons of Chinese-made fentanyl over the US southern border. Never mind that that fentanyl is killing more than 60,000 Americans a year, most of them young men of fighting age. Because the Mexican cartels are more than happy to replace those young Americans with illegal migrants of their own. And these blokes are from gangs that don't back down in a fight. Although whether they would enlist in their adopted homes defence forces, I'm not sure. Keating saved the most vitriol in his speech yesterday for Matthew Knott from the Nine newspapers, who recently co-authored a series of investigations warning that Australia indeed needed to prepare for imminent war with China. Not asked Keating how he felt about China's treatment of Uyghurs. This is part of his reply. Uyghurs. I'm not to defend China about the Uyghurs. I mean, there's disputes about what the nature of the, of, of, the, of the Chinese affront to the Uyghurs are. There's a dispute about that. But one thing we can't be sure of, what if the Chinese said, but look, what about deaths in custody of Aboriginal people in your, in your prison system? You know, wouldn't that be a valid point for them? Well, China has rounded up about a million Uyghurs since 2017. Those who haven't been rounded up are subjected to frightening levels of surveillance. Those who have been rounded up live in concentration camps. The lucky ones make the solar panels for the rooftops of virtue signalling government subsidised Australian consumers. The unlucky ones are tortured, raped, or die while having their organs harvested. Yet that is somehow equivalent to a couple of dozen tragic deaths in our independent justice system. That's quite a leap, Mr Keating. But in some ways, Paul Keating is right. We don't need to worry about being invaded by a totalitarian government because our own governments are becoming that already. 
These days, Australian politicians give the impression that they find the democratic process a bit tiresome. A series of staged photo opportunities and a bunch of focus group tested slogans. What they don't do is, is release their policies for the voters to consider before entering the booth. They wait until they've won office, then they let us know what they're going to do. Within four months of winning office, for example, Anthony Albanese announced new enterprise bargaining laws. And in Victoria, Premier Dan Andrews announced harsh new restrictions on car drivers. In both of these cases, these policies would have significantly affected the election result if the voters knew about them. What will the winner of the New South Wales election pull out of the hat in the months after the polls close in that state on March 25? Well, my money is on the policy that is sweeping the world, but nobody seems to have voted for. 20-minute cities. Leftist politicians, which these days is almost all of them, love this kind of idea, partly because they can package it up in a way that makes a debate about them seem perfectly redundant. Here's how it's being sold in Victoria. To improve livability, the Victorian government is working to create a city of 20-minute neighbourhoods. It's all about creating walkable neighbourhoods where people can live locally. Places where communities can access most of their daily needs within a 20-minute return walk from home. These places should have diverse housing options and access to safe cycling routes and local public transport, local health facilities, parks, shops and other local infrastructure. We are already working with local government, communities and industry to deliver projects and are committed to building a livable city of 20-minute neighbourhoods. Well, that video is three years old. Now that the concept has been legislated, says Ratepayers Victoria President Dean Hurlston, it is the preamble to state planning laws. He says, quote, every planning decision that is made in every local council in Victoria is seen in the lens of the 20 minute city because the planning legislation is designed around it. But governments aren't very good at this stuff. Here's a video about Elizabeth, a new suburb north of Adelaide from the 1950s, advertising the same combination of work and convenience. But whenever the job, light or heavy, and no matter how pleasant the working conditions, after a good day's work, a pint at the local agrees with any man. Now you're really talking. Oh, Bob will be all right. But with a handy job and the local just around the corner, what about me? What are the shops like? You're taken good care of too, Mrs. Fisher. Whatever suburb of Elizabeth you live in, there's a shopping centre in your neighbourhood handy to get at and supplying all the family needs. And there's the main city centre. Big shops, stocked with the world's finest merchandise. Well, you can tell by the cheery tone of that video that nobody who moved to Elizabeth back then knew that there would soon be a massive departure of manufacturing from the suburb, draining the life, work and prosperity from the neighbourhood. In 2020, the Adelaide advertiser called Elizabeth Adelaide's most dangerous suburb. 
20-minute cities are simply the modern equivalent of these bureaucratic ambitions, but with a twist. The planners of Elizabeth might have thought they'd designed a 20-minute city, but they didn't dare think they had the power to force residents to comply. But their modern counterparts come armed with all sorts of technology to ensure you stay within your zone. This is becoming a serious issue in Britain. In Oxford, the council has already divided the city into six zones. Res residents will be allowed to leave their zone 100 times a year and cameras will keep track of how often they've done so. Some Oxford residents woke recently to find one end of their street had been closed by bollards in the dead of night. Freedom-loving locals have already taken matters in their own hands by ripping up the bollards and vandalising the cameras. But Oxford isn't alone. The British cities of Sheffield, Newcastle and Doncaster are heading down the same road. In January, author Jordan Peterson tweeted, quote, The idea that neighbourhoods should be walkable is lovely. The idea that idiot, tyrannical bureaucrats can decide by fiat where you're allowed to drive is perhaps the worst imaginable perversion of that idea. And make no mistake, it's part of a well-documented plan. Yeah, well, you'll be not surprised to hear that this is heartily endorsed by the World Economic Forum. It says, quote, Communities that foster and maintain social and economic relationships don't have to be wealthy but they do need to be walkable and safe. And for 15-minute cities to thrive, they must also have plenty of mixed income and equitable housing. And there it is. The planners will decide who your neighbours are, and then they'll lock you up to make sure you can't get away from them. Why is this happening? And who's behind it? Let's get Queensland author and commentator Melinda Richards in to discuss it. Melinda, welcome. Hello. Hi, Fred. Thanks for having me today. Great to have you on the show for the first time. Melinda, you live on the Gold Coast where traffic is becoming a serious problem. Why wouldn't a 20-minute city make your life easier? Well, actually, it's interesting. The interesting concept about the 20-minute city, I think, is born from the 15-minute city. And the 15-minute city is the one that's getting a lot of global traction as the new marketing slogan of, of 2023. And I'm sure it's going to be like COVID and climate. It's going to be out there, you know, getting lots and lots of worldwide attention. But, of course, for the Gold Coast, we're not a major city, but it still takes us to get to our big pieces of infrastructure like our city hospital and our private schools and a lot of our stadiums and our sporting facilities. It takes it takes the beach livers and goers uh, probably around 20 to 25 minutes minimum to get to these larger pieces of infrastructure because the Gold Coast is a linear city. So a 15 minute city on the Gold Coast would make absolutely no sense at all. And of course, uh, it's, a, it's a growing city because a lot of people have moved up from Melbourne and Victoria, to, uh, sort of Melbourne and Sydney, I should say, to, to get to the Gold Coast because we are a little bit more freedom loving here. And a lot of people wanted to escape some of the really strict rules, particularly in Victoria. We had, we've got a lot of population growth right now, which is making our 15 minute drives around 25 minutes. So 
it's, but wouldn't it's, that make it's, it's it, just going, it's just taking, it's taking it round in circles, you know. But wouldn't it, wouldn't it make that an opportunity to turn the Gold Coast into a, you know, like if you need to build more infrastructure for all these new residents, I mean, you saw that video from Victoria, everything's meant to be within 800 metres, which you could probably do in theory on the Gold Coast. Isn't this an opportunity to turn the Gold Coast into a 20 minute city? Well, no, because, you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to build another regional hospital? Are you going to build another mega stadium? Are you going to build three or four more private schools on the Gold Coast so people don't have to to travel? I mean, people choose to put their children into certain schools. They choose to uh, live a certain lifestyle when they come here and they're making very, very conscious choices about what they're going to do and where they are from bits of infrastructure. It might be major swimming pools, for instance. I mean, are you going to build another 10 more 50 metre pools? So you're going to let people have a 50 metre pool? I mean, the, the lifestyle on the Gold Coast takes on board all of these elements and, and infrastructure to make it efficient. So you're not going to make an, an efficient city inefficient and create even more uh, problems with trying to build uh, a, a lifestyle and, and more infrastructure just because you're trying to contain people and, and cut people's trips down by 10 or 15 minutes. It, it doesn't make sense. I think you hit the nail on the head earlier when you said people choose to do certain things. I mean, you can't have that, Melinda. This is, this, <laughs> this is you know, this is 2020. We're living in a brave new world. Yes, we are yes, indeed. Brave new yeah. world of tyranny and control well, now. Getting, <laughs> well, speaking of tyranny, who do you think is behind this? Look, I mean, the interesting thing is that it's probably didn't actually come initially from the UN and WEF. It looks like it's come from this group of cities that have gotten together and created this C40 group. And it encompasses about 95 cities across the world. And of those 95 cities, they cover about um, a quarter of the world's economy. So it's a very powerful group of, of, of people. And it looks to me like it's this second tier of, of tyranny that's coming forth from mayors and premiers. And mayor of Paris, for instance, started talking about 15-minute cities in 2020. So it's all about power money and control. And, and if anyone thinks that 15-minute cities are anything other than that, then once again, we're, we're going down the climate and the COVID path of, of having to try and explain to people that if this is not about climate change and climate emergency. And it, if you think that pulling people into 15-minute trips and, 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 and containing people within districts is going to change the weather or the climate is once again hugely naive and 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 full of platitudes and the yes. same platitudes and the same people that were doing COVID and climate are now doing 15-minute cities. And there's no coincidence here that the same people that have been listening to the climate activists and the COVID activists are the same people following the mantra of the 15-minute city. So it's, it's all about ideology and it's all about controlling the population and using modern technology to do that so well yeah. they haven't i mean it's interesting you say it's the same group that is uh that is falling for this because those people went into lockdowns and covid mandates and so on oh sorry jab mandates um 
not knowing what the downsides were. Now, the downside of the 20 minute city that they're, that they're not really very explicitly being told about is that these borders may well be enforceable. Why aren't we being told that as part of the sort of the marketing of all this? Well, because that's not pretty, is it? When you're telling people that they're about to be controlled again after being controlled for two and a half years, I mean, a lot of people woke up from the COVID experience. And so it's going to be a, a much harder sell this time around. I don't know that as many people are going to be jumping on board some of these, the, the, these platitudes and this pretty language that they're trying to wrap around 15 minute, 20 minute cities. So it's, it, it's, it just isn't marketable enough. So what they're going to do is talk about, you know, things like livability and legibility and climate saving the planet. And they're going to wrap around a lot of urban planning and design platitudes around it. But it, it won't work as well this time, I don't believe. But then again, I could be absolutely wrong about that because I was absolutely wrong about how many people would comply well, in 2020. Well, so, here's, something, here's something that we can't, that, that can't be denied. And that is one of the common ideas of our time, the myths of our time, is that human activity is essentially destructive. I think this mm. is simply an extension. 20 minute cities are just an extension of that idea and what the ultimate aim is, is to restrict people from simply doing things. Don't you agree? Mm. Oh, look, I absolutely agree with that. And, and don't forget that we already have 15-minute cities. They're called villages and they're called towns. So um, we're really talking here, if we're to be really realistic, because these urban planning designs and concepts have been around, as you have pointed out earlier, for decades and decades. What we're really talking about is the very, very large cities in the world, you know, cities like Barcelona and Melbourne and Paris and Buenos Aires. And these are the cities that are putting their hands up to jump on board with this concept. And these cities do have inherent issues within them and problems within them. But those problems have been caused not because of mobility and access to services. It's probably quite the opposite. So I think it's really ironic that they're talking about 15 minute cities and restricting mobility in areas where cities would actually benefit for greater access for the poorer and more socially disenfranchised parts of the population to access greater facilities and more areas and get greater transport. So they can travel more than 15 minutes into areas of say, you know, parts that are a little bit wealthier, that have more facilities, that have more economic growth, that have more jobs. So you, you want to be able to up upskill and bring people out of poverty in some of these very large cities where poverty is a problem. And you're not going to do that by locking them down in their areas where they're already poor. So I, I still feel that this whole thing is such an oxymoron. And I do feel it's absolutely just another form of control and power. Well, let's just return to how likely they are to uh, pull this off, so to speak. Now, we saw during the COVID pandemic what that the, the limitations of compliance in the Australian population are actually very low. Do, how likely do you think it is that Australians will fall for this? Well, I mean, as I said earlier, I, I'm always surprised by people's behaviour now. I was shocked by the way Australians initially complied for at least 12 months fully and the vaccination compliance for a large group that whilst I understand there was a sizable amount of people who didn't want to get 
vaccinated, there was still a very large proportion of people who uh, were very, very happy to go out and uh, use the vaccination as a virtue signal. They got selfies taken with jabs in their arms and masks on their faces and, you, you know, uh, shaming and naming people and families being split apart through the debate and division around these COVID measures. It was really shocking and surprising to me. But, but I feel now that as we move past the, the worst of the COVID tyranny, that many people have looked back now and with the benefit of hindsight and with the benefit of getting on the front foot of these things early, I think we can probably head it off at the past this time because oh, well, it, it, it is illogical and it doesn't make sense. So hopefully well, that's we can. A, that's we start a positive to... note to finish on. Melinda <laughs> Richards, thanks so much for your time. Thank you very much for having me. That's Gold Coast commentator and author Melinda Richards. Well, that's all from me tonight. Thanks for watching. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can find me at, at Fred Paul, F-R-E-D-P-A-W-L-E, or follow ADH on at ADHTVAUS. And you can catch all the latest from ADH's rapidly expanding lineup, including Alexandra Marshall, Daisy Cousins, David Flint, Nick Cater, Lyle Shelton and more by going on adh.tv or downloading our app or find us wherever you get your podcasts. ADH is the new home for common sense commentary and there's no shortage of things to comment about these days. I'll see you again tomorrow at 7pm. Good night.